1: So we're going to be in the book of Malachi, which is the last book in the Old Testament. Right before the Gospels, if you have a fully encompassed Bible. This morning we're going to be in Malachi. And the last time the message was titled, Warning is Love. Warning is Love. And, you know, when God speaks through His Word... I've always been taught, I've been taught very well, thankfully, by good teachers that, you know, you always want to look at everything in context. Anybody can take a snippet out of the Bible and make an entire false doctrine out of it. So I was always taught, whatever you're reading, even if you're struggling with it especially, go back one chapter, go forward one chapter, what is God saying in context? So that's important. Today the message is getting right with God and... It's interesting because as we start to look through the Scripture, if you're new to Bible teaching church, there's some just proper methods to study the Bible. One, like I said, is in context. You know, another one is to look at the chapter before and after. Uh, also, macrocosmic versus microcosmic. Pastor Joe speak English to me, so uh, basically, you know, God is dealing with His people. So we're, we're going back twenty-four something hundred years ago. And he's picking out specific things that were very detrimental to the culture, to the spiritual society. You know, God is going through it. And honestly, almost 2,500 years later, we can relate to some of those things. We could see things happening in our culture that are very disturbing to us. But we also have to look at things macrocosmically. In other words, big picture, small picture, big picture. And big picture is, is sort of a learning curve that uh, in... 25 years or so of studying the Bible, uh, I've kind of g- got this, this curve going where I say to myself, let me look at the specifics, but also let me look at the big picture and how can we apply that today. So we're going to look at this in three parts. And i got to tell you, you know, going deep into the Old Testament, uh, I'm having more fun with this than I thought I would have. There's a lot of good lessons for today. So jumping in, Malachi 3. Starting with verse one, it's going to be a little choppy until we totally break this down, right? So, behold, I send my messenger. Now, this I would make the case for John the Baptist. Now, remember, this is 400 years before it takes place. And he will prepare the way before me and the Lord whom you seek. That's interesting. Before me and the Lord, two divine persons speaking will suddenly come to his temple. So, who came to the temple? A divine person? God the Son, right? Fully God, fully man. Even the messenger of the covenant. So, the messenger actually changes now, because Christ is the messenger of the covenant. And that covenant in the Old Testament, Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, so in the Old Testament, signaled a New Testament, or a New Covenant. Right? you got to read the Bible in its entirety. So even the messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight. Understanding that the Messiah was coming was always a very exciting thing for the people. Behold, He is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Now it seems to turn on a dime, verse 2. But who can endure the day of His coming? And who can stand when He appears? He is like a refiner's fire, and like launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasant to the Lord as in the days of old, as in former years. And I will come near you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against sorcerers. Now, sorcery is a very interesting term because what people would do is they would do do these demonic practices, right? And listen, it happens in every culture. It happens today. There was actually a guy who, in a state house in Iowa, they put a really creepy statue, like a demonic statue, like a demon, Satan worshipers, And so some guy came in and he, he was angry and he cut the head off. Now they're charging him with a hate crime. <laughs> Poor Lucifer. He gets a... Uh, where, where am I going with this? So continue on. So in sorcerers... Because we, we hear about sorcery and wizards and stuff, but it was a picture of when the people did their demonic practices, they would take heavy drug use to try to anesthetize themselves and their conscience so they can continue. It's so, so weird. It's so weird. But they would go together, d- demon practices and heavy drug use, because against adulterers, against perjurers, against those who exploit wage earners, and widows and orphans. And against those who turn away an alien, because they do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore, you're not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Yet from the days of your fathers, you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way shall we return? So, one out of three is, is it one or is it two comings? The ancient rabbis had trouble with this concept. So before Christ comes, they're again, they're reading about the day of the Lord. And it's, it's bizarre to them, right? Who can understand the mind of God until, unless He reveals Himself? So you're reading about, in the Old Testament, before Christ comes, what a great time it's going to be. He's wonderful. He's great. He's the one in whom we delight. Then he's gonna—he has fire in his hands, and he's gonna, you know, uh, deal with the these these evildoers. And then you read again: Oh, he's so wonderful; he dies for our sins. So, understandably, the ancient rabbis—if you actually read rabbinical writings prior to the first century—there was some confusion. So, what people did was they were like, "Well, we hope he comes in judgment, but not for us, for Rome and, and some of these other nations." So, it's very interesting because. In one sense, he has mercy, forgiveness, and sin atonement. And in another vein, he has judgment, justice, and wrath for sin. And the only way to rectify it is to understand that God was telegraphing that he was going to come twice. So, and people say, you know, we, we long for, as Christians, we see the state of the world, we see the state of our country, like, oh, Lord, just come and bring your kingdom. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We long for it. Right. Um, so these things are these things are taking place. But what Jesus showed us was was most important because in, in our temporal selves, we want to see the Lord straighten things out in this world. But the Lord's attitude in his divine knowledge was coming first to die for the sins of the world. God was looking. You know, what's funny. You look at Hollywood, you look at the entertainment industry. They're all concerned about how you look. I'm sure every single person before they left their house this morning at least once looked in a mirror, right? I did, got to fix the hair, nothing's sticking up. But you know what? God looks at the inside. He's so concerned about our soul, where we're going to spend eternity, that we are with Him. So Jesus came the first time and that was the most important. Yes, kingdom come, thy will be done. That's going to come. But the inside was more important first. So and that and makes sense. And I'm only I'm no genius. I'm just looking at this in hindsight, right? If I lived in pre pre Christ, I'd be wondering what was going to happen too. He's making this stuff make sense. So you look at who is me, who is my messenger, um, and we start to fill in the blanks. In Psalm ten one, these are all, uh, you know, divinity scriptures for Christ. The Lord, uh, this is King David saying. The Lord said to my lord. Sit at my right hand while I make your enemies your footstool. Or Yahweh said to Odonai, which means Master. At that time, there was nobody above David. Who is he talking to? Who are these two divine persons talking to? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Here's another one. Deuteronomy 6. Hero Israel. This is all Old Testament. You can find the Messiah easily in the Old Testament. Heroes O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Hebrew? Yachid means solitary one. There's only one. But in Mosaic writings, Yachid isn't used. It's Echad. That means a united one. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I could go on. <laughs> Haggai too in the Old Testament. That the Messiah would come to the temple. Right? Who, who, who came to the temple? Jesus Christ. <laughs> he did a lot of His work in the temple. Sometimes cleaning it up. Because of the corruption of the religious system that was there. So, a lot of neat things going on here. It says, The Lord who you, whom you seek and whom you delight. Again, these were references to the Messiah. Now, how did, so fast forward a few hundred years, right before the, you know, the Christ comes and the Gospels and all that, how did the Messenger come for Christ, for God the Son? Well, There was a custom, and it's so funny because the more I learned about Middle Eastern culture, which actually some of the customs still exist today in those areas, we had a missionary last Sunday come up talk to you about all the places he's gone in the Middle East, places we've only heard of and, and you know heard about on the on the media, right? Some of these customs are still exist. So what happened is, if a king was was going to appear in a town or another region he would send his emissaries, right? He'd send his ambassadors to go in front of him, make sure that there was no obstacles on the road, make sure it was safe. You know, they smoothed everything out so that the king, the dignitary, could continue on his trek unencumbered. So we look at this, and let's read, who's this person? Now remember, this is pre-first century. Isaiah 40, 3-5. Remember, pre-Christ... Actually, this was written some seven, 800 years prior. And it says this. This is going to sound like the New Testament as I read it, but it's not. <laughs> it says, "...the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth." The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. All flesh shall see together the glory of the Lord being revealed. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. That's John the Baptist. We see the fulfillment of this in the New Testament, right? One crying in the wilderness. But the question is, what did John do to smooth things out for Christ? Now understand, a lot of these things and I'm giving you customs, they're the temporal world. So when you read this and apply it to the spiritual realm, well, things look a little bit different. What did John do? Well, John was isolated from society. You look at a lot of famous people today, you know, performers, sports players, media people, politicians, and they all seem to say the same thing, right? To us, telling us what to do and how we should be and how we should live. They're all from the same club. It existed back then too. So, John the Baptist, that's why the religious system was corrupt, right? They wanted a piece of the pie too. But God's like, no, 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 you're serving me. You've got to be different. But they became very corrupt. And he complains about this in Malachi as well. So, John was isolated from society. He grew up in the wilderness. When he came out, you know, he probably didn't have a mirror. His hair was all disheveled, and, you know, he had camel hair, and he's eaten honey and locusts probably a good diet. It's probably very good for you, actually. And he didn't care what anybody thought of him. He was not a celebrity, and he preached the message of repentance. Repentance means change. Now, Christ came after him more merciful, more gracious, but John had to prepare the hearts of the people. He pointed his fingers at the religious leaders he pointed his the the finger at the soldiers, the politicians, and they put him in prison and cut his head off. Because that's what happens when you fight against the system. So Jesus comes, right? And at least the hearts of the people start to change. Some of the soldiers, Roman centurions, guys with a lot of authority and power, become followers of Christ. Some of the religious leaders break off from that corrupt cabal, and they become believers in Christ. There's an incredible mixture of all sections of society who's come and follow Jesus because of the work that his messenger, John the Baptist, did. Starts in the Old Testament. It's where we're told about it. Fulfilled in the first century. Isn't stuff neat? We're just only on the first verse. (laughs) So verse two, You, you, you have to ask yourself, is this the same person? Who is this person? Right? Oh, we want... The Messiah to come, we want the Messiah to come. There's actually a scripture in Amos 5.18 where the people, they still had some worldliness and and some corruption in their hearts, and they thought, oh, the Messiah is going to come, it's going to be a great time, and he's going to vanquish our enemies, and he's going to give us everything we want, like a celestial Santa Claus. God responds through Amos in verse 18. He says, woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. For what good is the day of the Lord to you? It will be darkness and not light. If your heart is corrupt, you're not going to like what you see, right? Even today, people have a misconception of Jesus. Yes, Jesus wants to save all of our souls. But there's a lot of people in the world whose hearts are corrupt. They're corrupt for the world. They're corrupt for money. My, my wife and I were watching. Uh, how many people saw the movie All the Money in the World? J. Paul Getty, the Getty Empire? You got to watch, nobody saw it. (laughs) It was, you know, his son got kidnapped in Italy and they cut his ear off. And, you know, the grandfather was such a miser. He worshipped money. He loved money and he died. Jesus said, it's a lot easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. Not because Jesus didn't like rich people, but because you start to rely so much on those comforts, that money, the things that can buy you, the notoriety, the people, you know, you have your own um, self-mutual uh, admiration society. It's very hard to break away from that. So, you know, this was, this was something that when, this, when the Lord came, whether it came the first time or the second time, Jesus got us to do some heart checks. Look inside ourselves. What's, what's the issue? And when I became a Christian, there was a lot of things wrong with me. A lot of things. And I'm still working on some of them. But his word was something that, you know, I knew the Lord would work with me. I knew he wanted to save me. And I knew he would be patient with me, as he's patient with all of us. So don't be, don't be so hard on yourself if you love the Lord. He'll give you time. Um, okay, so the first verse one is everyone's looking forward to his coming. Verse two, which is very common in the Old Testament, the tone changes to more an apocalyptic tone. Type literature. Who can stand in his presence? Uh, 180 degrees. Verse two. He's got. He's a refiner's. He's using refiner's soap. Uh, refiner's fire. There's judgment mixed with this refining. Now understand that. Back in those days, first of all, what's soap for? Especially those days, right? It was a very uh, dusty climate. They didn't have concrete. Well, the Romans actually had a form of it. Uh, they didn't have, like, blacktop, and, you know, you could walk barefoot and not really get dirty. You know, you walk through dirty roads. Uh, it's very hot, sweaty. Uh, so soap was a wonderful commodity in those days, just to be clean. So soap was an important thing spiritually. God does cleanse us, right? He wants to cleanse us from the filth that we accumulate spiritually through the world. Uh, the other thing is a refiner's fire, you know, The refiner is kind of mean to the gold and silver. He heats it up. It turns into like a liquid form and takes the slag and the junk, drops off the top, chucks it, lets it cool down, heats it up again because he wants the gold and the silver to be perfected, to be refined. So the Lord is a refiner. Now, we can allow him to change us, or we can say, Don't go in that room, Lord. Don't open that door. You know the door of our house, right? Um, or we can just let him in and let him do what he needs to do. So the beautiful thing is that anyone can repent. And again, the repentance sounds scary if you're watching a guy standing on a soapbox in the middle of the city, pointing his finger and yelling, "Repent, repent, repent." Just means change, right? Lord, I want to turn to you. I've I've kind of done this my own way up until this point i want to see what you have to offer and what you would like to do with me in my life so you know there's always an opportunity even in the second coming to change to repent so even our hardened loved ones who we love so much and we want them to receive christ then they're still resistant when times get really bad even the times of the judgments in revelation they're still going to be tribulation saints so there's hope for everyone even through those difficult times, God is just so merciful. He wants everybody to be saved. Verse three: Some of these things um, are more eschatological, uh, you know, end times sort of, you know, kind of geared towards purifying the sons of Levi. Under Levi was the priests and the Levites. They worked in the service of the temple, and they were not. The people were becoming corrupt, but so were the priests and the religious system, right? At this. It happens to be an issue, no matter what time period you're in. Why do people get involved in leadership? Do they want to be rich? Do they want to be famous? Do they want to be on talk shows? Or do they want to get people closer to God? right? And if we start to lose that desiring people to get closer to God, then we need to find another profession. But some stay in it and double down. So, purifying the sons of Levi, it is possible that he's speaking about the time period that he's speaking to them in. Or he could be speaking, for those of you that know the Bible well, this sort of future millennial temple, this memorial temple uh, in the future that's going to take place. So I'm not really sure. It might have elements of both of them. Verse 5. He, see, he gives the list of sins to be judged, and we see this a lot. We talked about the sorcerers. Uh, perjurers. Perjurers in, is in there. I worked in the legal system for 25 years. Let me tell you something. There's a lot of people lying a lot of people putting their hand on the Bible, swearing an oath, and they're just not telling the truth. So perjury, you know, our culture is becoming so decadent, people lie, like they're just liars. Like they go on TV, they lie. They go into the courts, they lie. They just make a living of lying. And I've seen some that have been caught, right, famous people, and they get interviewed and they just lie some more. <laughs> and you just, you just give up at that point, right? So God, he, he, doesn't, he despises liars. Liars will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So perjurers in there, uh, exploiting wage earners, that was a big deal. I mean, these people, it wasn't like America, middle class. It was the upper echelon and everybody else who struggled to get through life. So cheating workers was a big deal. It could co- hurt them to be able to feed their families. God has a problem with that. Widows, orphans, and the poor is always in the Scripture. Always in the Scripture. And even in His law, mandated, and you say, but, but when I read the Bible, the people didn't live up to it. Right. Like today. So, and I hear these, these attacks on the Bible and I just flesh them out. What do you mean by that, right? What are, you, what are you trying to say? Where did you get that information from? Well, society did it. Yeah, but look at all the times God said, you're wrong and you need to stop it or I'm going to remove my protective hand. So you got to take everything in totality and in context uh, he also spoke about, very interesting, and again, we had our mission, one of our missionaries here last Sunday, he said that you turn away the aliens. Now, this was something where, not little, little green men with, you know, antennae, the, you know, whether they were from across the Jordan, whether they were from Europe, uh, a lot of people outside of Israel, not all, were polytheists. So they, you know, they believed in multiple gods, which is not true, there's only one true God, and the, God's desire for his people was that every person that came into their presence that had a misunderstanding of who God was, he honored his people to be ambassadors and for them to sit with them, to have hospitality with them, to explain salvation, the truth of the true God. So this was, it's not like people read, they look at current events in the United States and they, they it into the scripture. It's not what we see on TV. It's, this was purely for helping people come to the truth. And even Denny said, with all the mixture in the United States, this is a great mission field where you live, that there's people that don't know Jesus Christ. So there's always that opportunity to help people to understand it and, and receive it. Uh, verse 6 and 7, continuing on. God says, I am the Lord. I do not change. He says this in Isaiah. He says it in Malachi. He says it in a lot of different portions of Scripture. And why do people change? Why do do we change? Hopefully we don't change for the worse. Some do. But when I became a Christian, I started to slowly change for the better. Why? Because Joe DeProsimo doesn't know it all. Newsflash. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, as God works with us, right, we start to change. We start to get better. But God, doesn't. he cannot receive new information. He is what's called immutable. He can't change. He's perfect. He knows the end from the beginning. So we see this, um, this situation where he says, I, I don't change. And here's a funny thing. He says, sort of the, the way the wording is in the Hebrew to English, it, just sort of uh, some of these uh, paraphrase Bibles that make it flow a little easier. But it's the same idea. It says, basically, I'm the Lord, I don't change. Therefore, you're not destroyed. You're not toast right now. Because I'm still merciful and gracious, and I still want to give you a chance. Prodigal son, we talked about that in the children's ministry devotions this morning. right? God always wants to welcome us back. He wants us to, to come back. And I just want to stop here for a second and say, if there's anybody here this morning who you feel estranged from God, you feel a little far from God this morning, I want to encourage you. I'm not going to wag my finger. I want to encourage you. Because God, maybe, listen, if that's you this morning, there's no coincidence you're sitting here or watching on live stream. Because God loves you. And whether you look at, there's some things that are just just continuous, contiguous Old Testament, New Testament. And one of those things is God's like, I always want you to come back. Right? I always say that, and even in my life, if I sense that God's far away, I didn't move. He's always in the same place. I mean, sorry, He didn't move. I moved. Right? And i got to come, some of you look at me, thank you for those... It's like, you know, it's like that head tilt. Right. He didn't move. I moved. So, if we've moved this morning, I would ask you, maybe just today, to rededicate your life to Him. Amen? And I say that with encouragement because I have to be in context and in harmony with what God says in His Word. So... The last part of seven is a little funny uh, because, again, we see this monologue dialogue going on where God, of course, knows the hearts of the people. He knows what they say in private. He's God. He knows everything. So he's saying to the people through Malachi, don't think I didn't hear that. Right? And in verse seven, at the end, they say, but in what way shall we return? Like They just were kind of playing dumb a little bit, maybe being coy uh, with the Lord. You know, well, what did we do wrong? Well, you know, well, how did we do that to you? And God would, of course, give them an answer. And they knew that through uh, Malachi, which is pretty impressive. Then you know, as a people, that he definitely heard from God because he's telling you things you said in private that he would have no way of knowing. That's the beautiful thing of the prophetic scriptures. I'll just leave you with uh, one point, and I'm just going to talk about just briefly my experiences. you know, where I live in Ocean County, it's, it's, it's very multicultural, which is pretty awesome. I get to talk to people all the time. And I had two young men who were Orthodox Jewish, you know, they wear the head coverings and the, and the garb and all that, and they came to me for something that they thought I could help them with, sort of in a worldly sense. And I you know, I got to know them and I, I was in their presence at, at some point. And I'm doing this a lot lately, whether it's somebody who claims to be a Christian, is in a denomination, or somebody who's an observant Jewish person. And I say to them, (laughs) they want to talk temporal things. Of course, I want to talk spiritual things. So I'm curious, like, what makes people tick? How do they think? How do you observe God? And I would ask them, you know, legitimately, there's 39 books in the Old Testament. They they agree with that. And I said, have you read the prophets? And they're like, um... I said, have you read Zechariah? Have you read Isaiah, Jeremiah? They're like, no... I'm like, why not? <laughs> so, and then I went into Isaiah 53, right? Before Christ comes, this Messiah figure who is abused mercilessly, but he's a wonderful person and dies for the sins of the people. Substitutionary atonement. I'm actually explaining it to them. And they're looking at each other and they're looking at me almost like, I'm like, do me a favor, before we talk again, please go home and read Isaiah 53 and let's talk. But just to be fair, and this is the problem with religion, right? Is I talk to people who claim to be Christians and they're so staunch on their denomination and they haven't read. (laughs) So it's a little easier for us. Like we have 27 books in the New Testament. Jewish people have 39. I mean, I've read all of them. And it's the same thing. Have you read the Gospels? Just the Gospels. There's only four of them. No, you've got to read the Gospels. But this is what religion does. Religion says to people, we want you to believe a certain thing, so we're only going to teach those portions of God's Word where we can get you guys to kind of go along. So again, Old Testament, New Testament, Old Testament, if all of these teachers were teaching about the Messiah in the prophetic works, a lot of people might change what they believe. So, um, listen, it's just, it's just, that's just who I am, right? But verse, uh, they're great people. I mean, I, I love them. I just, uh, I don't know, I think time is short and I just need to start just discussing this more. It's just my, my thing. Verse 8, continuing on, he says, so they start, the people were saying, in what way shall return? And then God gives another kind of piece of what they're doing. Will a man rob God? But you have robbed me, right? God says that, you've robbed me. But you say, or he's anticipating their response, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings, you're curse with a curse, for you have robbed me. Even this whole nation, bring all the tithes in the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer. And this is more referring to, you know, the agri- agrarian society, uh, their crops and stuff, you know, the locusts and all the different devouring insects. I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. So two out of three is, can God be robbed? Well, in my former profession, robbery statute in New Jersey is 2C, colon 15, Theft statue is 2C colon 20, but I digress. Um, this is basically, for those of you, when you get to know me more, you'll figure it out. Uh, <laughs> this is a metaphor. Can somebody rob God? Can they steal, take his wallet? Of course not. God doesn't need anything material. Hey, he needs nothing, he is self sufficient. But we have to understand tithes and offerings, and this is important because I'm also going to elucidate some things that you might watch on TV, that you might see on cable. And you might see some of these phony preachers who just want to get your money. And there's some weird things that happen in some of these ministries. And these guys are filthy rich and they keep asking for your money and making you feel guilty. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to make it explainable and they'll be mad at me too today. So it's just one of those days. Tithes literally means a tenth. Now there was a system that God set up, right? And He said my Levites, my priests, and my Levites, you know, the sons of Levi, they're gonna run the spiritual end of things. They're gonna be in the temple, you do the sacrifices, they're gonna teach the people, they're gonna teach the children. I'm gonna, you know, it's one of those things where um, to continue to know and believe something good, we have to go over it a lot because the culture is designed to take that away from us. So even back in the Old Testament, You know, they were constantly ministering. They just did the service for God. They were his, you know, uh, ambassadors, maybe not ambassadors, but his servants. So the people were supposed to actually take 10% of what they had and give it to that service so that it could continue. Now, here's the irony. Here's the irony is that when the people gave up a lousy 10% for that, those services, what, it, what they did and in turn, right, they had to eat. It wasn't a big deal. They weren't lavishing gold and stuff on them or new cars, and there was no cars back then. But what they did was they could continue ministering. And anyone who had a problem, they were had a question, they needed an offering done, they were right there to help them. So it went in both directions. It was reciprocity. So the irony is when the people were cheap with God's system, they were hurting themselves spiritually. And you can see the declension in spirituality over the years. Pretty powerful stuff. God doesn't set things up because he just feels like it for no reason, or for clergy to abuse it. He does it for a reason. Um, as a matter of fact, in Nehemiah 13.10, we read that some of the priests and the Levites had to leave their service to the Lord and go find a job. And they didn't have the time as much for the people because the people were cheap with them. So they had to feed their families, so they were almost working two jobs, and it it hurt the ministry. So Nehemiah 13.10 speaks about this. All this confirmation in the scripture. Deuteronomy 14, that said, there were some tithes specifically allocated for the poor. So in addition to the spiritual things, these men of God would take um, the offerings and help the poorest of the land. That was part of their their job. As a matter of fact, in the United States, uh, mostly ministries did this until kind of the government took over and government can be very inefficient and sort of cold at times. So I love the fact that we, we feed people. I love that. A lot of those people don't even come to our church and I don't care. I feel like we're doing a service for the community. We do a lot of really neat stuff in Jamesburg. So, so there's that. There's a lot to this. Um, actually, Pastor Sam, if you, if you know Pastor Sam, he often says you can't outgive God. And I found that to be true. Now, it's kind of funny because all the the dumb things that people of faith do and worshipers do, I look at me when I came to the Lord, and I'm just going to say it, I did a lot of dumb things too. And one of the things I was, and it might be hard to believe, is that I was, my wife is going to laugh, I was very, she knows where I'm going, I was very stingy. I was a cheapskate, really was. Now, I didn't have much to begin with. We, and when we grew up, my, uh, my, my parents split, and we were on, back then it was called welfare. But, you know, just f- trying to find these odd jobs until I found the career that I was interested in. And I actually had a little piece of paper, right? That if you owed me, if Janet owed me $2, I would put Janet and the number two. Now, be, to be fair with me, money back then was worth a lot more than it is now. $2 could buy you more. You're supposed to laugh at that. So even my wife would say, she's like, you're so stingy. So that actually went away. And I don't, I have to say, I've been delivered from having a little piece of paper with people's names and stuff. If somebody wants to borrow some from me and I help them out, I don't, and like, oh, I'll pay it back. I'm like, just forget about it. But the Lord really changed my heart. And you know, what's funny. I found that the more I try to hold on to stuff, the more it slipped through my fingers because God wasn't blessing me. But he says, if you're generous, Pastor Sam says, you can't outgive God. I feel like ever since I've been more generous, I can still pay the heating bills. I can still pay the electric bills. I still have food in the fridge. I'm not, you know, starving over here. So I think that's really, really a blessing because God has this reciprocal principle here. Now, just to continue on, I know we're moving from kind of the Old Testament to the New Testament. We don't even take collections here. People come here to the church and they're here right, three or four times. And like, I keep meaning to put, I'm like, if you want to, you can. There's boxes on the wall. But you know what? I'm not a fan of those guys with the long poles and the baskets and they're kind of watching you. It's like everybody feels like, I've got to take my wallet out. There was one church. I mean, people tell me horror stories. I'm sure I'm, sure I'm going to hear a few when I leave and I'll put it in the next message. But there was a church that I don't know how often they did it, but it was a big church. And the pastor would say, "Everybody, take out your wallets and your purses." This is how gullible people. I would have walked out. Um, even now, being generous, I want to give because I want to give, not because some guy's manipulating me. And he would say they would take it out and they'd say, "Give it to the person, exchange it to the person next to you." Now, bro, you're ma- making that face, bro. And th- they would turn it over and they would dump somebody else's money into the collection. Man, if you just went to the max Mac machine, you're done. <laughs> That was, so we don't do that stuff here, you know. <laughs> I'll throw another thing in here to make some of these leaders mad at me: is that in the New Testament, right? Acts fifteen is the Jerusalem Council. It talks about what is to be carried over, if anything, from the law to people who have trusted in Christ. Right? Christ fulfilled the law, so very little—only really ungodly things. Tithing is not—it's not in there. But everybody knows, right? If you, you know, want to keep the lights on and stuff and heat in the church, you, you're going to give. And honestly, we do well without pressuring people. I, don't want to, I never even ask what a person makes. I don't care. It's not my business. Some churches do that. What do you make? The other thing, is, or let me see a is that's Honestly, if you know anybody who goes to a church like that, they should leave because that's just really, really weird. Okay? Um, and I have no problem explaining it after I get down from here because we don't do that. and It's just, it's just the wrong thing to do. A lot of stories. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 7 in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul gives a general principle for giving. It's a general principle. Paul says this, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And that goes for everything. If you sow goodness, positivity, if you sow you know you want to help people you're you're always somebody who you're a good listener if you sow the it's not just giving it's your character if you sow you know trying to get people close to the love of god you're going to reap wonderful things and when i was stingy i didn't reap much but here i can't tell you the the ways that people trust me and even counsel their kids and i mean it's just I don't know what to say. Now I'm in, uh, I got some of them right here. I'm in, a, I'm in a high school that our usher Captain James got me into, and I'm, right, 40, sometimes 25, doesn't matter the number. All these high school students, I uh, just it was a venue. Hey, do you want to do this? Yeah, sure. And it's like, what fruit is coming from that? Just to see these kids, man, I remember when I was their age, and just to be able to pour into them and a- them ask me questions, I'm reaping, I am a rich man. Now, don't ask me to pay your mortgage, but, you know. <laughs> but I'm rich in, in ways that are outside monetary, right? Okay, so he continues, I got so caught up in that, in that principle, and he continues, verse 7, so let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And can I tell you something? I've experienced years ago before i was a pastor even in another church where uh somebody not not me personally but somebody i knew they set up this person to counsel this other person who was a new believer and this person just had such a bad attitude don't do it you're giving of your time grudgingly you know you're just the type of christian that's always always got a puss on their face and you just don't want to approach them because you don't want to get bit maybe i don't know but you know how do we portray ourselves, right? How do I mean? We started with tithes and offerings. Oh, I forgot to tell you, offerings. In addition to tithes, the offerings were they were like the meal offerings, the peace offerings. There was five basic offerings that the people would give to the, you know, the priests or whatever to go do before God, officiate, and the, like the peace offering and stuff. And that actually, those offerings. Uh, were a way for people to want to get closer to God. So it was kind of neat. Now, all of these things have been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Uh, so I just want to make sure I covered everything. I don't want to leave anything out. I don't think I did. I told enough stories. Uh, okay. Hey, listen, James 1.27, I, I read this before. He said, pure and undefiled religion, because there is a pure and undefiled religion, and there's corrupt religion. But James says, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father, two divine persons, is this to help widows and offerings in their time of need and to be unstained by the world, right? To give, but also not to receive the stain from. Our culture is decadent. Um, so there's a, there's a lot to that. Continuing on, verse 13. So God is saying, listen, you. With your stinginess, you, you, and again, people do what what people want to do. But I, I also, if I look at my credit card statement or my checkbook, you know, sometimes we just have to look at it and say, everything I purchase is it is me all over it. Me, I bought this for myself. I bought that for myself. Some of the most unhappy people and unfulfilled people, unfulfilled people, spend everything on themselves. When you can pour into the life of another person, not just with your money, because my time is valuable, with your time, just like those young men I was talking about, to me, I'm I'm wealthy. And I love, my wife and I, she'll do the same thing. She'll go out and say, I talked to this person, and and I'm like, "Oh, and I talked to this, like we share stories. And I gotta tell you, in the beginning, we were terrified to share our faith with strangers. It's a slow process. But then you just care more what God thinks about you than anybody else. Or even if you're not much of a talker, as you can tell, I'm a talker. I could just keep talking and talking and talking and talking for four, five, ten hours. But that might not be you. Um, so even exuding the character that you have, sometimes people will ask you, hey, what? You know, just everybody hates this job. Why do you seem to be not like grumbly like us? And man, that's like an open door. <laughs> wow, God, that's drew me a lifeline there. Okay, we'll move on to the next subject. Verse 15. <laughs> I'm sorry, verse 13, three, three verses left, and then we'll continue next Sunday. Your words, so God is continuing, right? Your words have been harsh against me, God. So these, all these microcosmic pieces that make a macrocosmic picture. He says to the people through Malachi, your words have been harsh against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken against you? They had like an answer for everything and just, instead of just repenting, you ever deal with people like that they just always have an excuse a reason uh, a a rebuttal but you you know it's just stop just listen to what God's saying is here right what have we spoken against you you have said God is saying to the people that you've said it is useless to serve God what profit is it that we have kept his ordinance and that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts so now we call the proud blessed for those who do wickedness are raised up they even tempt God and go free. We're going to do more with this next Sunday, but three out of three is why bother? Why bother, right? God's like, you know, your words are harsh against me. The things you say, sometimes people will say, and you might know somebody at work, and listen, I'm not the words police. I worked in a pretty tough profession, and JC, JC, I'm like, all right, whatever. I can't tell everybody to just be quiet. But because I really want to just be there for them when they have that moment of clarity and they want to get to know the Lord. But people say the darndest things about God, and I wonder if He appeared to them, like literally. They'd be trembling. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. The things we say, I mean, He's everywhere, right? But they were saying just such insolent and disrespectful things, just complaining about everything. And... What they're basically saying is, why serve God when the wicked seem to get away with everything? And that's, a, that's, that's what happens today. And people do that, and they'll point it out. Yeah, but that person, yeah, but just let's worry about ourselves. Because when we see next Sunday, the second coming, he's going to deal with that person. So if we've that person all the way ourselves into our last breath, and we never got, took the time to get close to God, ironically, we're going to be in the same boat with that person. You know when are we gonna change and repent and try to move towards God? You know and it's the thing Jesus says pray for your enemies. That's that's a, even today that's a hard one. If somebody really hurt you, but I always look at it this way: if you pray for your enemies and your enemies become believers like you, you don't have that friction anymore. Leave it to me to just kind of throw logic into it. You know, uh, but this but God just says pray for your enemies. You know, listen to him first. Um, you know, even the wicked need need a chance at repentance. And you know what? They won't be so wicked when that happens. But you hear people say, it's useless to serve God. And I tell you, I've been through trials in my family, and I know some of you have been through trials. And don't you get that one person? It could be a relative. somebody so close to you. And then they say it, and you're like, wow, that that cut deep. You go through something, and a person says to you, where is your God now? Anybody heard that? I've heard it. And it's like, um, Job heard it, and poor Job, his three friends came and ministered to him, and they were wonderful when they didn't speak. And then when they started talking, it was like, oh wow, ah, that cut deep. Well, you must have done something wrong for God to treat you like. Oh my, everything's just twisted out of context, right? But where is your God? See, we rely on the fact that Jesus said in, in John 16:33. He says, Jesus promises us. Oh, well, promises of God. I love the promises of God. Well, this one is a promise that Jesus says, in this world, you'll have tribulation. Ooh, I don't like that promise. See, when you get that little promise book, you got to get the good and the bad. You know what I'm saying? So, But Jesus says, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Now, we're not realizing that yet. We will one day. And you know what? All those complaints. You ever like just go through something really difficult and you have, you have an assumption about a person, and, and you just you just meet with them for an hour or two, and you just have a good talk and a good cry, and you're like, oh, I feel so much better about you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But God is going to show us that all the things we've been through, that we were faithful, that we were sticking it in, that we didn't... I had a neighbor when my wife and I we bought our last house. We were really struggling financially, and um, my neighbor was sort of like a father figure, and he was helping but he would always jab me about, well, you're a Christian. And I was like, oh, this guy. And this went on. I, lo- I really loved him. I mean, he did pass, but, you know, he just, he had stuff in his life too, and he just kept sticking it. And he just said, you know, and he was like a numbers counter down in, in, in Atlantic City. So if anyone's listening, it's he's, he's passed. You can't do anything to him. Um, and he'd say, just give me $100. And he, because he, he could multiply it. And I'm like, listen, the Lord will provide. And and boy, the temptation was so strong because he'd come back with f- pockets full of money. I hope he wasn't into organized crime or anything, but <laughs> I th- I think he just counted cards. But anyway, um, the interesting thing is, I my wife and I we we loved him, but we dealt with the jabs. We dealt with it. Dealt with it. And then he died, and uh, his wife asked me to co do, do a eulogy, um, you know, for him. And I just remember, I don't know if I was speaking to the nurses. I was speaking to somebody, and they said that the night before he died, he laid in bed, he was all by himself, and he was talking to God. You know what? I'm really hopeful that Jim is in the kingdom, and I'm going to see him again. So, you know what? What if I went his way? What if I cut corners? You know, have I cut corners? Everybody sins, but I'm so glad that I stuck it out with him, because I really believe he's in the kingdom. Amen? Amen? Where was I? This is, those, I would, it's not even in my notes. Those are the best ones, stuff that's not in your notes. And I've got to find my place again. Okay, so thank you. Um, you know, why do we serve God? Do we serve God because we want to benefit? The world does that. It's called quid pro quo, and in some places it's illegal. So, well, God, um, you know, if you do this for me, I'll keep following you. Prosperity Gospel teaches that. Just keep saying it over and over and just keep harassing God, and eventually you'll get that, that uh, multi million dollar mansion on the cul de sac. That's not how it works. It isn't a quid pro quo. It's we serve Him, we're faithful, we trust Him, and we know that He also promises some abundant life here. But when we get to be in His presence, all the hurts here Revelation 21 no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. Well, that stuff has passed away, no more death. It's not going to matter anymore. What matters is that we were faithful to the end. So, getting right with God—listen—it encompasses a lot. We are complex people; our minds operate on complex levels, multiple things at the same time. So, yes, is there repentance? Sure, there is. Is there a turning? If we're totally away from God, or we've backslidden, to turn back and say, "You know what, Lord, I, I, I want, I want to start again," right? There's that repentance. However, Jesus died for our sins. No matter what it took to get to that point, trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior, all sins have been paid for at the cross. Otherwise, He was ineffective. So we look at this and uh, ultimately what God was saying is, and we, we kind of get into the next, the second coming next Sunday, is that God purposely sent His Son first because He knew that that's what the world needed, right? So. Um, yes, we're going to enjoy the king. yes, all those things, but now we enjoy the fruit of the sacrifice He made for our sins, that He filled us with the Holy Spirit, that even in difficult times, a lot of people are going through stuff, that we can have joy and we can be fulfilled. And we may not be millionaires, but our soul is filled. And then we get to the kingdom. Could you imagine God showing you the people you've affected? And you have no idea. He showed, you might think, oh, maybe one or two people. But what if those one or two people affected 50 people? And then they, it just keeps, it keeps multiplying. And you might, be, you might be in tears of joy saying, I, I, just, I just, and I did it at my most weakest time, Lord. So I want to encourage you, trust Jesus Christ. You know, God was pointing them there. And uh, enjoy that relationship with Him.